Hello, and thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of DeRitter, Louisiana, recorded at our 10 o'clock service on Sunday, February 3rd, 2019. Hear the reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror, dimly. But then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these, is love. Of all the installments of our hate, enough is enough worship series, this is one I have not been looking forward to. And I've not been looking forward to it because for us to truly hear And to respond to what's in the text, it's going to require us in many cases to redefine a word that we use all the time. And that word is love. This passage that I just had read to you, and from which we are preaching today, is one that I'm asked to use at just about every wedding that I've ever done. You should see the look on the bride and groom's faces when I say, are you sure you want me to use this? And they say, yeah, why not? I said, do you know what it means? I honestly, I had one bride who said, I don't have a clue, I just like it. That's where you have a pastoral moment and you have a choice to make. And I'm like Yogi Bear at that point. If I see a fork in the road, I'm going to take it. Because for us to dive into what Paul is talking about here requires a complete 
change in mindset. How many times in life have we either said or had someone say to us, if you really love me, then you'll do fill in the blank. I wasn't talking about that, but okay. How many times do we say, how many times do we as children say to our parents, well, if you really loved me, you would let me do what you know you're not supposed to let me do. How many times do people use that phrase in high school and college? How many times do we use that phrase in our marriages? And how many times when we say love, do we use it as a tool of manipulation instead of the reality of God's existence? As you saw in Friday's worship preview email, and if you didn't get it, you need to get on our email list, fill out, a, fill out the pad, put it in there so we can get your email address. The most unfortunate thing about the word love when we look at the Bible, there's so many different words that we have translated as love. And in this passage of 1 Corinthians 13, we're looking at love not from a romantic perspective, but more from a reality perspective, an agape love, a, self, a sacrificial love. The agape love that we look at in this passage is one we see modeled not by a romantic partner, but someone we see who gave his life for us, and that's Jesus Christ. For you see, when we start using the phrase, if you really love me, you'll blank, Jesus Christ proved his love for us, and that he allowed himself to be put to death to bear the weight of the sin of the world so that all might have a shot at redemption and restoration as we celebrate on Easter Sunday morning. How many times when we look at love in that perspective do we measure up? That self-sacrificial love that does not look at what we get out of it, but looks at what others get out of it. And you know, one of the most confusing things about this 1 Corinthians 13 passage is it comes off the back end of last week's 1 Corinthians 12 passage. And if you go back and you look at 12, chapter 12, verse 31, Paul's coming off this discussion of the spiritual gifts, and he goes into this by saying, and I will show you a still more excellent way. That's the prelude, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 13 as a recitation of all the gifts that or a lot of the, all the gifts that God has provided to the church at Corinth. And then he says, and I will show you a more excellent way. And what he's doing there is he's taking us out of our actions. He's taking us out of our transactional roles within the body of Christ. Last week we referred to the fact there's no such thing as a status symbol in church. You aren't a diamond level member or a black card holder or a gold member. Everyone is equal in the sight of God. It doesn't matter how much money you give. It doesn't matter how much 
how many hours you put in. It doesn't matter. All that stuff that we try to use to separate one another. We don't, the more excellent way is found right here. And Paul lays it on. He says, if I speak in the tongues of mortal and angels but do not have love, it doesn't matter. If I have all the prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body but do not have love, I have nothing. And what we see there in those first few verses is something we should never forget. When it comes to living as faithful Christians within the body of Christ and within the world, within our families, within our friendships, within our community. And that is love is the way we are to use our God-given gifts. Love is the way we are to use our God-given gifts. Because you notice he says basically what Paul's saying is I don't care about your resume. If you don't have love, then it's irrelevant. And yet how often are we taught that it's all about production? How often do we sit here and live out a life where everything we do is backstopped by this sacrificial love? The United Methodist women are a perfect example in the ideals of their organization. Julie read to you a part of their history. And those ladies, there were people who could have done the work that they did, but what we often forget to tell as part of that story is the transformation of the lives that have been done over the last 150 years of the United Methodist women are done not because of the talent of the ladies, but because of the love of God. The ladies can have all the talent in the world, but the most important part of their mission has been this love that Paul is talking about here. It's great all the statistics that Julie read, but if it's not undergirded by the love of God as embodied in Christ, then they're just another non-profit do-gooder organization, and I don't believe that. But that also makes us ask ourselves, I have all of this, but do I have love? Do I have that sacrificial love? Notice he goes on and he says, here's what he, but he doesn't just say, look at it as a negative. What does he say? He says, love is patient. Is it always easy to be patient? Uh, love is kind. Is it always easy to be kind? Come on, feedback, or we're going to be here a while. <laughs> this will last as long as the Super Bowl pregame. Since the Saints and the Steelers ain't playing, none of us got any interest anyway. So, is love, sorry, Teresa, is, uh, is love, is being kind easy? What about, let's see, he says, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Let me ask you this, is it easy to be envious? Is it easy to be boastful? 
Is it easy to be arrogant? Is it easy to be rude? Love does not insist on its own way. That's how people prove their love to us, right? When they insist we don't have to do it their way, right? That's not easy either. Is it easy to be irritable or resentful? The word schadenfreude comes up front. Bridget, did I say that right, schadenfreude? Is that the right way? The word schadenfreude. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. What do we see in that paragraph? We see that love is the more excellent way but it is not the easier way. Love is the more excellent way and not the easier way. It is easy to love people who are patient with you, right? It is easy to love people who are kind to you, right? It is easy to love people who are not envious or boastful, but it is hard to love. It is hard to love those with whom you're not patient, right? You look at these things. Love is the more excellent, not the easier way. One thing that I have learned in the last hmm, five, six, seven years, and it's something that I think that if none of, if we're all honest with each other, there's not a one of us that's mastered this, no matter how good our poker face is. And that is, how much would life change if we looked for how God is working in someone's life rather than worry about what they aren't or who they aren't? Love is the more excellent, not the easier way. Because when we love in that sacrificial way that God has taught us and that God has modeled for us, we then have some work to do. But you notice he says, love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. Oh, wait a minute. All that stuff that we hold near and dear as sources of power in the world will come to an end? For we know only in part and we prophesy only in part, but when the plea comes, the partial will come to an end. He goes on and he says, When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. The childish way is thinking and operating in a way that love comes from within. But love we extend, love we extend must come from God, not from within. Love we extend must come from God and not from within. And what does that look like? As we're talking about a series on hate, enough is enough. What if we started looking at each other and loving each other, not with the love that comes from our emotions and not with the love that comes from our situations, but what if we started funneling instead of our own love, what if we funneled God's love? What if we approached life through the perspective of saying mine is to love, it's to embrace people with God's love? 
What if we looked at every situation and every person and we looked at it as extending God's love instead of generating our own love? I promise you this, it's a lot healthier because then the love that is put out there is not dependent upon our emotions. It's not, the, it's not about what somebody else may have said or done to us. It's not about whether we like or dislike someone. But when we extend love that comes from God and not ourselves, it is truly humbling because we embrace them in a way that no one else can. He says, finally, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we see, we'll see face to face. Now I know only a part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. Fourth thing we see is that love allows us to see others as God's children. How many of us are in the mood to insult God? How many of us are in the mood, or how many of us are in the mindset that faithful Christianity tells God he got it wrong? How many of us are in the position of saying God doesn't know what God is doing? How many of us think that God knows what he's doing? How many of us think that we worship a God who never fails? As a, I think y'all sang one time, he's never failed me yet. Yeah, I think y'all did say that. God's never failed us yet. And if God is who we believe God is, then we look at each other as God's children. And at that point, we don't care about the earthly stuff because we see them as God has called us to see them. And that is why the greatest of these is love. That's why the greatest of these is love is because when we love in a self-sacrificial way that follows the example of Christ, where the focus of love and the motivation is not our own pleasure but God's glory, then you can take two pennies in 1869 and change the world. Then you can look at each other and instead of us all re reacting with our emotions, we can be responding to the reality of God's love. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You may find out more about our ministries at fumcderitter.org.